Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and they share their story. They might have overcome something amazing or they might still be on their journey. With stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. Today I'm introducing a phenomenal woman. She's speaking openly about her personal journey to help others that have been through similar health battles to herself. In 2010, at 12 years old, Livy was diagnosed with retinoblastoma during a routine sight test. It's a rare cancer of the eye usually found in children under the age of four. Livy went through 16 rounds of chemotherapy at Great Ormond Street, culminating in her eye being removed at just 14 years old. In 2019, at 21, Livy took out her prosthetic eye and posted a picture on Instagram, finding a whole community of people who had the same prosthetic as her. Livy was only the second person in the UK to be diagnosed with retinoblastoma over the age of five years old. She wants to share her experience to help people not only understand how to identify the cancer, but also how to live well and with confidence. Now, at 23 years old, though online trolls have tried to wear her down, Livy continues to encourage others to bear their empty sockets and embrace themselves wholeheartedly. So it is a total honour to have her here today. Hello, Livy. Hiya. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, it's a real pleasure. I mean, first of all, we should talk about um, how I found you because it's total coincidence and it's really random. Um... I had some eye surgery recently and I don't even know how this happened, but I was just on my Explorer. I think I'd been discharged from hospital and I was looking at my Explorer page. Anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's a page on Instagram where the app recommends accounts that you might like. And I saw a picture of you and you didn't have your prosthetic eye in. And I thought, oh, I wonder what's happened to that girl's eye. I wonder if she's burnt. And I looked on your page and I was like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. I love her outfit. I love her style. But I also love how some pictures you do have your prosthetic in, some you don't. And you are just yourself on your page. So I just started following you. Um, mainly because I like the way you dressed and I was kind of getting inspiration for like outfits and stuff. (laughs) 
Um, and then we exchanged a few messages and here we are on our first date. <laughs> I know, I can't believe it. It's literally such a small world. I was so overwhelmed when you followed me because literally like you're you're my inspiration. So I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it's been so great to kind of get in contact and do this podcast with you today. Now, it's really interesting because obviously we're not on telly, so people don't know what you or I look like unless they they follow us online um and one of the things that first drew me to you was your strength and you know I haven't met you so it might seem strange for some people to say well how do you know that person's strong and I know myself on Instagram it's really hard to show difference especially medical difference that a lot of people misunderstand and when people don't know what something is they find it scary. Mm. Um, So tell me how you got to the point to be able to be yourself on that app, because it's not an app really built for authenticity. It is an app built for the perfect picture. Of course it is. Um, So for me, before I took a picture without my prosthetic in, um, I hated taking pictures with my prosthetic in because I'd never get the right angle. Um, I'd always have quite a lazy eye and I just wasn't happy with any pictures I was uploading. Um, I've always been part of this big girl group uh, with long luscious hair and just like, just so beautiful. And um, they would always upload pictures and I'll kind of just sit there and compare myself and think, I, I just can't get that perfect picture. So I'd end up cutting half my face out. Um, and then it just kind of, basically, I do volunteer work for uh, children with uh, cancer. So that's with retinoblastoma. Um, and I go up to Royal London Hospital um, and I speak to them and just kind of encourage them and just basically make them feel a little bit better um, of going through the surgery and how it is living with a prosthetic after. Um, And I was sitting in a room, there was about a dozen of us um, and they all had prosthetic eyes. So we're going around and telling our stories and it finally got to me and I said, um, I told my story and said, oh, I had my eye removed. And they were like, oh my word, I didn't know you had a prosthetic eye. It's such a good match. Um, And in all honesty, I did know um, the other people with me did have prosthetic eyes. I mean, they're all so amazing in their own way. Um, But it just kind of like, it made me feel you know what, actually, I am quite lucky if they if they don't even notice. And why am I getting myself so down? And actually, we're all beautiful in our own way. And I thought the, the some of these people were really unhappy with their prosthetic eyes. Um, they just, they absolutely hated it. Some of them didn't match very well. Um, so I just thought it just kind of like, I don't know, just like, Told, like, yeah, it just made me realise, you know what, actually, you don't even have to wear your prosthetic eye to be beautiful um, and kind of use it to your advantage. And, you know, we the thing is, people with prosthetic eyes, we have to take them out and wash them. So we get that kind of everyday feel of when we take out our eyes, we look in the mirror and that's that's us. Um, yeah. And I felt, oh, actually, we're showing the world us with a mask on almost. Um, So I took out my eye and I took my first picture in 2019. I uploaded it and it got lots of attention. And actually it 
got me in communication with a lot of people, other people with prosthetic eyes from all over the world. Um, I speak to people in California, um, Canada, Mm -hmm. there's so many people. um, And it's kind of encouraged them to do the same. And it's a bit of a weird one because when people might think like, why would you kind of want to do that instead of having a lazy eye? It seems almost like bizarre. But actually, when I take a picture without my eye, I don't get that lazy eye. I can look wherever I want and feel confident. And Mm. I almost feel like I can near enough get that perfect picture now. And also by me posting without my eye, it's you know, getting that awareness out. So as soon as somebody goes onto my Instagram, they instantly see that and then they can know a bit more about retinal blastoma, which is such a rare cancer. It's really interesting talking about that perfect picture because, I mean, majority of people that will understand it is probably more women than men. Yes. Um, And, you know, for people that take a photo and don't like it, it might be like that top's not flattering I wish I could lose some weight. I, actually, I don't like my hair colour like that. And people might then embark on a journey to change that. Of course. But if it's your eye or your nose or your scars or whatever it is, there's that moment of, well, this is my truth. Like, this is what I look like. And, you know, even if I photoshopped or edited it, I know the truth, you know. Of course. And, you know, so sometimes it's quite difficult, isn't it? And if if you're feeling down, it's kind of like, well, I am unattractive. I am ugly because society says this isn't the right picture and I can't change this picture. 100%. Uh, did you have, because I remember for me, when I first started to take pictures, it was this thing of, well, I'm always going to look like this. I can't, there's no other angle. This is who I am. And you know that that's that that journey of acceptance what what was your journey of acceptance like and how did it sort of was it a straight journey or was it full of lots of sort of backward steps as well oh a hundred percent um I actually have a new Instagram at the moment um I had an old one I made this one in December 2020 um and my Instagram before after I posted my first picture I got some nasty messages. Uh, You wouldn't actually think that people would sit there behind a computer screen and take the time out of their day to actually be so nasty. I think it's just better left unsaid. So it kind of got me a little bit down at times. Um, Do you think it was children that were being nasty to you? Do you think it was adults? 100%. Always, they're always teenagers. That's the same for me. Yes. And do you know what? And that's why I try and just get this awareness out because bullying does usually start from a young age because you've had Mm. not many life experiences and you don't know the importance of some life lessons um and you know I'm good at like brushing off and just not replying but there are some times I'm just a bit like oh you know what I'm actually like why am I like this why did this happen um but I kind of lost track of myself so I was posting pictures without my eye and then I would go back to kind of not even speaking about it and it Mm. was just very up and down for me and I thought you know what I'm gonna make a new Instagram and really try and just focus on getting the awareness out it's like that is my goal in life and I always speak about it to my family and friends and I think so I'm just gonna do this and just go for it Um, and this time round because I've got in contact with so many other people in similar situations it's just I don't know, I feel like it's such a supportive community where they really encourage me, like all of my followers inspire me so much to carry on. So is your online life 
the same as your real life? Because I, I don't think I'm the same. No. Like, I think I think I'm more confident online than I am in real life. Definitely. Um, so I wondered, like, what what's real life like for you? Would you go to the shop with if you were rushing and you didn't have time to put your prosthetic eye in? Would you go down to Sainsbury's? Like, what what's real life experience like? So I have been out without my prosthetic eye. Um, it's not always good to leave it out for too long. So a lot of people with prosthetic eyes get advised by their doctor not actually to take it out too much. Um, for me, I've always been the same. So I got my eye removed when I was fourteen, um, and I've always when I first had it um, put in my prosthetic, I found it uncomfortable. I would just, I would want it out all the time. Um, so mine's never actually shrunk the socket because that's what can happen if you don't wear it for, you know, for a long amount of time. Um, so I tend to, if it gets a bit gungy, that's the only way I can describe it. If, mm. you know, it's just a bit uncomfortable. So I just take it out and I'll have it out for about a day or so. So I actually went to Sainsbury's, I think two months ago with my mum. And that was the first time I'd ever fully gone out in public. Otherwise, I would just stay at home before. I would have mm-hmm. my eye out. I'd be fine around my family, but I would definitely stay at home. Um, mm. My life is definitely different to Instagram again obviously you know we can have our down times and I I actually said on Instagram the other day for me a lot of people are posting um actually pictures of them when they're feeling down and stuff which I think so amazing and you know it's being real for me I like to see Instagram as kind of like my happy place with all my followers um yeah so I take time out when I'm feeling a bit down or not myself um and I'll kind of speak to my family about that um Mm -hmm. and keep Instagram separate I find if it merges in too much with my real life it can become quite toxic that's I think that's really good advice because I think you're having a boundary and you're giving yourself privacy um and it's safe isn't it it's not a safe place to say everything and actually your family is a safe place to be authentic in that way definitely yes yeah I think that's a really good boundary so let's go back to when you first had this diagnosis um Tell me about that actual day, because, I mean, is that the day your life changed forever? Is that fair to say that? Completely, yes, yeah. Um, So I was 12 years old, um, and after a few uh, trips, I went to Specsavers. I always say Specsavers definitely saved my life. Um, So I (laughs) Brand endorsement coming your way. Literally. (laughs) Um, So I went to Specsavers because my sister got a pair of glasses, and I was like, oh, I need a pair of glasses. Like, it was just cool back then, and Mm -hmm. I really wanted a pair. My mum... For the first couple of times, I was like, no, you like, stop being silly. And then she was like, you know what, we'll get you an eye test. So we went there and they saw a black mass at the back of my eye. Uh, and they said, it's what elderly people get. It's a bit of wear and tear, a bit of grit. Um, they said, it's nothing to worry about. Go to your local hospital. So I went to my local hospital, very small. They checked my eyes and said the exact same thing. They couldn't be sure, though, because they've never seen it in such a young person. So they sent me to Brighton Hospital. There again, they said the exact same thing. And they said, just to be sure, we're going to send you to Bart's Hospital in London. Um, And it was a cancer unit. But my mum and my nan didn't say to me that it was a cancer unit because they really just didn't want to worry me. I mean, the only time I heard about cancer being 12 years old was on adverts and like Mm. people I knew of who have died from it. And I thought I would just, I would freak out. Um, So they took me there and on that day... Um, my doctor, Mr. Hungerford, absolutely amazing. He um, diagnosed me that day with uh, retinoblastoma, 
which is a children's cancer from um, most common in not five-year-olds. So I, I instantly thought, I am going to die. I cannot believe this. Um, and you were 12 yeah, at this point. 12 yeah, 12 years old. And do you know what? As soon as he said, you've got uh, cancer, cancerous tumour in your eye, I felt almost like ashamed, like I felt embarrassed. I couldn't, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I didn't even want to ask the question, am I going to die? Um, so I just sat there. I was just welling up. My mum was Where in do you tears. think the shame came from then? Why, do you, why did you feel ashamed? I don't know. I guess I thought because I knew I was going to lose my hair. Um, and that's the only time I heard about, uh, about cancer. Um, I just felt like an, an ill person and I... I'd never kind of like, I never really had any illnesses or anything like that. And I didn't know much about it at all. Um, and it's just such a weird feeling. Um, but they checked my mum and my nan's eyes just to see if it was uh, genetic, um, mm. which it wasn't. Um, so it was completely, they still don't even know to this day when I actually had the cancer. Um, and I was the second person in the UK. So they were like, this is just, so crazy um but he looked at me and he said do you have any questions and I said oh I don't really know like I don't and he said well I know one thing you're not gonna die um and I was like I just like started crying he said the worst case scenario you'll have your eye removed um and with retinoblastoma, you get unilateral or bilateral. So I was unilateral, uh, which is just in the one eye. It's quite common for people to have it in two eyes. Um, so in that sense, I, I counted myself very lucky that I had it in just the one. That's big news to be told at 12, you might lose your eye. Yes. That's, re- that's a really, really big thing to take on. Yes, definitely. You know. Like I was going through, I was like hitting, like, you know, being a teenager. So I thought of all like, you know, what will boys think? I'm going to mm. lose my hair. It's just, it's a really difficult age to go through something like that. Um, and to me, although cancer was so bad, to have and so scary losing my eye was something I didn't want either so I was just like gonna try my all and we're gonna save my eye basically and how did your mum so your mum obviously was with you at the diagnosis how did your mum react yeah so my mum and my nan were there uh, my nan bless her she come to every single appointment with us um <sighs> I know and um my mum was just an absolute she was just crying she was a bit of a state um mm. and she couldn't understand why I kind of like I was okay I but I didn't really know much so she was just like trying to keep it together um but I actually went out that night with my best friends which my mum literally couldn't even deal with and I remember actually thinking because he said I had a tumour a cancerous tumour I always thought I kind of told myself that a tumour was better than having cancer for some reason right and that was my way of coping I thought you know I have a tumor it's it's gonna go Um, that sounded better in your mind yes yeah yeah. um but my mum she was always very very strong around me um and Mm. very positive but obviously speaking to her now that I'm grown up she actually 
didn't take it well at all. Um, and -hmm. she was a single parent as well. So she had to kind of take on all of that by herself. Yeah. It's quite lonely, isn't it? It's really hard. So that night, did you tell your friends or did you keep it inside? Like, how did you deal with it? Yeah. So I went to a place called Liquid Envy and, um, I used to go to both of those. (laughs) Where did you, where did you grow up then? Where are you from? I am from Horsham. Um, and I went to Liquid Envy in Crawley and, um, I saw my best friend Harriet there. I literally laugh when I think about this and it, the music was so loud and I was like, I have a tumour and she thought I was saying I have a tuna and I was just like do you know what don't worry about it fresh can if you want literally and she was just like we were just laughing and I had a really good night um and then obviously you know the next day we met up and I I told her and my closest friends um and they didn't didn't take it too well at all um but they again were so so supportive yeah so I'm thinking about school so around about that time of school it's like like periods, bras, dating, mock exams, you were starting chemotherapy. So what what on earth was school like? How do you do chemotherapy and do all those things? Like, I can't understand it. Yes. So basically, I started chemo two weeks after I was diagnosed. So it's pretty sudden. I would go to school sometimes. But the thing is, after chemo, I was so sick for five days. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't do anything. Mm. I had a bell in my room because if somebody came into my room, I'd be sick instantly. I couldn't watch TV because food would be on there and it'd make me feel sick. So after that five days, I would then try to go to school. And to be honest, looking back, um, I was always so strong, um, but I was just quite, I was quite negative. Um, I didn't want to face anybody. I didn't want to go to school. The last thing I wanted to do was learn and sit in a class. Um, And I obviously started losing my hair. Um, So then I would have to wear a beanie hat into school. And then actually I got home tutored because I was so poorly. Um, The Mm. chemo just kind of took over my whole body to the point where the cancer didn't even near enough kill me. It was the chemo. Um, I ended up having blood transfusions, uh, bone marrows because my immune system was so, so low. Boys weren't very kind to me, I have to admit. So that was like the hardest thing. All my girls had um, boyfriends and I was, my first boyfriend I had when I was 18 years old. So Mm -hmm. I never experienced that kind of relationship with guys. Because that's the thing. There's one side of school, which is like you said, academic, you know, your future. But there's the social side of learning how to interact, learning how to socialise with, with not just with girls, like you said, with guys also. So so you had a friendship group or were you isolated from a friendship group? How, how did that go? Uh, no, I had my friendship group. They've always been so great. Um, we're still literally friends now, which is amazing. I had a couple of people I didn't know that would just say about my hair um, because um, obviously I had no hair. Uh, there's things like even going to the fair. That was a massive thing for me Mm -hmm. I would always miss the fair because I was having chemo and I just got so down about it Uh, Mm -hmm. and one time my doctor actually said you know what Liv you can go to the fair 
have have this week off, go to the fair. Mm. So I went and me and my mum, because I really wanted to go in the cage, which is like this thing that goes around in the air. And obviously yeah, my wig was going to fly off. So yeah. uh, she got some tit tape and stuck it to my head <laughs> just so I could go in the cage. And honestly, like looking back, that was probably like the best day of being a teenager because I was yeah. living normal. I felt like I can just do what I want freely. Um, and that was really, really nice, apart from not being able to get my wig back off that evening. So, <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Hello, you hungry people. I bring news. Yes, season five of Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner, is upon us. The world may have been in meltdown, but I've been using my time wisely, sharing fabulous meals with fascinating people and asking them prying questions. As a long-serving restaurant critic, my theory has always been that the best interviews happen over food, and the proof is this podcast. In season five, you'll find me dining my guests in top restaurants or with lockdown-compliant takeaways over Zoom. People like Darren Brown. Well, I do like a Gruner Felt Letter. Do you do that by the glass? Yeah. Yes, we do. What would I like? What would you... <laughs> Don't start. Oh, do, I, do I have to guess? <laughs> Paloma Faith. I've also been told off for telling Samuel L. Jackson what to do. Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Just bring it all in. He's, he's shucking the oysters. He's somebody's shucking oysters. <laughs> The oysters are being shucked at the boot of the car, apparently. Noel Clark. So we have lobster meter. Oh my god. Oh my. <laughs> Philippa Perry. I always like a man in makeup because they're, they're improved by it, but I hate false boobs. Hate them. Tom Allen. I do know a bit about patissiere because I knew what a ganache was before any of my friends at school did, but then they were actually quite happily getting fingered so <laughs> and more so subscribe now in all the usual places episodes drop weekly from tuesday the 26th of january 2021 it's really interesting because i think you're right when you've got something that overtakes your whole life all you yearn for is a day off yeah. a day of normality so um, true. and it's not really possible you might have like you said those moments but then you kind of go back to where you're at yes um sometimes what we can all do is sort of hide how bad things are whether that's like the mental side or the physical side you know when you were going through all this as a you know not even a woman a young girl did you ever feel like giving up did you ever feel like saying I don't want any more treatment I don't want to be here yeah um, so this basically when I came home after chemo I would have to have a district nurse come out to see me every single day so I had a Hickman line and it went into the mm. side of my body and sat on my heart and that was how they injected the chemo um, so they would come around and uh, take my bloods every day just to check how my bloods are doing um, and on this one particular occasion they said 
right, you need to go up to East Surrey Hospital because your immune system's so low, um, you can't stay at home. And me being stubborn, live going through chemo, I was like, I'm not going, I don't want to go, I feel sick, I wanna stay here, please don't make me go. So they allowed me to stay at home for that night and the next morning I took a turn for the worse um, and they said, if you don't go to hospital now, you can seriously die. Um, so I got rushed up, up to hospital um, for a blood transfusion and I wasn't well enough for the blood transfusion. They said my immune system is so low that they can't actually give it to me. Um, so my family actually came up to East Surrey Hospital to say goodbye to me. Um, and at wow. this point, I was so out of it and dazed. I, didn't, I don't even remember them coming. And my nan was the only person on the way back who said, she's going to get through this. I'm hopeful, like, she is going to get through this. We are going to see another day of her. And they still say to this day, it's an absolute miracle. For some reason, my immune system just shot up. It just, for absolutely no reason. Um, and so I was able to have my blood transfusion and that literally saved my life, the blood transfusion. Um, I wouldn't mm. have made it otherwise. So at that time, I was just ready to kind of go. Like I was just, mm. I can't deal with this anymore. Just wanted to be normal and going through that. Although the worst case scenario is for me to get my eye removed. The fact that chemo makes you so, so sick, it makes you want to give up and it makes you feel like there's literally no light at the end of this tunnel. Because you're in so much pain yeah. constantly and discomfort. And it's really interesting that like you've talked a lot about the physical side and, um, I'm thinking to myself, like mentally, what you must have been going through. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's so many different facets to your story, because just as a young girl dealing with your own body and appearance changing without any medical trauma at all is really hard. And being bullied for the way you look, even if you look absolutely symmetrical and by society standards, you know, perfect, whatever that means, people still struggle, yes, right? So here, here's you, 12 years old, you know, thinking you're going to die, feeling constantly dreadful, horrendous whilst trying to get an education, date, fit in, and the prospect of losing your eye. You're showing the resilience and mental strength of somebody that's been on this world a hell of a lot longer. You know, confidence and resilience are all things that are built through life with life experience. What life experience does a 12-year-old even have? You know, you haven't even like so so where do you think this comes from? Because you sounded so strong the whole obviously strong isn't about always coping. You know, strong people still don't cope. How do you think you were resilient like that at that age? Where do you think these kind of inner strength comes from in people? Because why did you have it in bucket loads at such a young age? I, do you know what? I don't know. I can only put it down to my family being so positive. Um, my mum never took it upon herself to kind of share how upsetting it was and things like that. It was always the positives, like Liv's doing well, she's progressing, um, we're going to be... And it was kind of like we just got ourselves into a type of schedule, like this is going to be happening now. And we kind of just made ourselves... I don't know, plan out for the best. Um, mm -hmm. I always had hope, like, my eye is going to be okay. My doctors were so, so positive. I would always have just the biggest support bubble. And it kind of allowed me to have no time to get down. Um, mm. And I'm so grateful for that because uh, if I was sitting there on my own, I would just get trapped in my own head. Um, so it was really, really nice to have um, this support also, Great Ormond Street have this charity called Make-A-Wish Foundation. 
Um, mm. And they allowed me to make any wish in the whole world. Um, it's quite funny, actually, because I chose to go shopping in London, Oxford Street <laughs> twice, both times, uh, when I could have gone and met Beyonce or someone. Um, and just like little things like that, because it's almost like the whole hospital is a community. They just made it so much more of a nice experience other than kind of like dreary, just stuck in hospital, going home and that's it. Yeah, it, I guess what you're saying, it's like we all need a reason to live and to carry on. Yes. And you, they filled your life with reasons to not give up. Definitely, um, yeah. And what about, you know, we talked about the diagnosis, the chemotherapy. What about when the day arrived where they said, we have to remove your eye, you know, we're, was it unexpected or were you prepped? Unfortunately, where their cancer was so, so aggressive, they said, I'm really sorry, That's there's nothing we can do. We have to remove your eye on New Year's Eve. So oh I was like, this is great. Um, but yeah, I was very emotional. So I'm like, "What's what am I going to have instead? And they were like, you have a prosthetic eye, which you can get incredible matches. Mm. Sometimes you wouldn't even notice. So then I kind of just kind of held my thought on that like you won't notice it's going to be prosthetic eye so I went through my surgery for that and I woke up I was in absolute agony it's very very painful from when you're looking left to right the strain on your eye Mm -hmm. um so after that they then fitted a temporary prosthetic eye and then they fitted my um real eye real eye my prosthetic eye but my eye now that I wear I've worn for 10 years now um Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm happy with it like obviously it's a bit lazy and stuff but I just at first I guess I did hide away a bit like going back to taking pictures of half my face um such a big change yeah and I would something part of you is gone forever definitely and I always say like your eyes are one of the first thing people look at when they speak to you so it's very um makes you feel quite anxious when you think are they do they know are they thinking about it Mm -hmm. and then it makes me feel a bit nervous and anxious um so yes I would actually train myself and I I do it now I train myself to look slight like turn my head if I want to look around and Mm -hmm. I always trained myself to do that um but obviously if you see now I'm looking around and it's Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. a bit lazy um so yeah I just I just got used to it. I just thought, you know what? I can't change anything. I am who I am. And thank God I'm here. Like, you know, I went through such a hell of a time with chemo that I was just glad it was over. Um, 10 years in remission. Ooh, I oh know. my goodness. I just want to get a bottle of champagne. I know. I'm going to. I've got a day off today. <laughs> it's so interesting because you're so mature um, and factual when you talk about it of like, you know, well, for you, obviously having your eye removed isn't ideal but it saves your life and it puts an end to all the suffering that you've endured but because of society and the way society is it's such a big thing when there's a change in your appearance Mm. and it shouldn't be because the change in your appearance stopped you from dying and stopped you from enduring awful sickness and pain um and it's like, obviously, what you decided to do is say, well, actually, I'm bigger than this problem. And a change in my appearance shouldn't change my value, shouldn't change my worth, and it shouldn't change my beauty. Yes. You know, and I think that's the part of it, that it that's really frustrating because any difficulties you've had 
are because of society and the way society is. Yes. And, and it's wrong. Why should a young girl feel less than when what you've done is is given you life? Yeah, of you know? course, of course. I know. And it's incredible, incredibly difficult, isn't it? Because then any depression or anxiety or feelings of low self-esteem you've had after that are because of made up standards made up rules that make people like you or I or other people feel not good enough that you don't fit in um and it's all bullshit yeah really it literally is I I totally agree like even coming down to um like uh studying and things like that I almost felt like because I never got the right grades and I feel like you kind of grow up thinking you need to have A's in everything to be successful to get this and actually now I sit here I think we are so stressed out and so kind of like forced into this and thinking this is the only way forwards when actually Mm -hmm. I have had opportunities since and just because I haven't got good grades I've I've still managed to kind of you know get jobs that I love and things like Mm -hmm. that and do things that I want to do um and I think that was a massive strain on my life too um and yeah like you say with society as well like nasty things that are said like you almost feel like you I I've always felt kind of embarrassed about it and Mm -hmm. it even comes down to um I always prefer people to know I've got a prosthetic eye than a lazy eye and that's really sad in itself because I feel like well what's wrong with a lazy eye why why should I have to explain that I've had all of this when actually Mm -hmm. why is it just why isn't it just okay that people look at me and think she has a lazy eye and that's it I yeah. I think I I almost kind of like get myself trapped in this little hole and I I get worried about what people think and this is mm. why I kind of do what I do to encourage others and actually I feel so much better just being myself and not having to explain myself either all the time. I mean that's the thing isn't it like the actual message like sometimes it sounds really like cheesy and um patronizing of like well the happiest life is to live your true self but you when you've been through something like what you have you really understand it Mm. I remember I had this guy I met in a bar in Clapham and we would we'd like kiss drunk on a night out we would we were BBMing it was a day of the Blackberry Uh, (laughs) which was a long time ago and he sort of said to me you know what we'd been BBMing for ages so you know like when you're young you have like phone relationships with people and he said what do you do for a living and I said oh I work for a charity and he was like would it be one I know is it like a big charity and I said no it's a really small Burns Charity and he was like what's it called and I said the Katie Piper Foundation and he knew my name was Katie and he was like oh have you ever actually met Katie herself and I was like um yeah because I that is me that I am Kate that Katie and he never replied he totally ghosted me and we've been in like a three-month text relationship where you first thing you do is text each other in the morning and stuff and um that was it it's just horrific isn't it like he was getting yeah. on with you, like your personality. personality. And that's yeah. the biggest thing yeah. for me. Like my boyfriend loves me for who I am and my personality. And I've I've not met someone so supportive, but it is a shame how people actually do just go for looks because there's so much more to looks. Mm. And like I say, anyway, you're so beautiful. So he's just crazy anyway. <laughs> but people write people off yeah. because of differences. Yeah. And- in ways, as much as I am so confident, it does sit at the back of my head, you know, what if people, you know, don't like me because of my eye or because mm-hmm. it's a bit lazy or, 
you know, um, and... The most confident people have self-doubt, you know, it doesn't make you not... Co- I, I'm really confident at work, yes. but I'm not confident in a bar. Yes. Or, you know, with other, loads of other girls, you know. So you could be confident in some areas, but terrible in others, yeah. you know. It's Do like, you know, that's really nice to know because it can get you down if you're like, you almost mm. feel like you should live up to being confident in everything. Just, and you shouldn't. It's not possible. Yeah, no, no, it's not possible. But going back to what you were saying about... Um, obviously kind of having that text relationship and not wanting to see each other in person and everything Mm. I found um that when I would if I didn't meet somebody I would want them to know before almost um just so I didn't have that awkwardness of meeting them and they're looking at me a bit like I didn't know you Mm -hmm. had that because when I would speak to somebody, they'd never see a video of me or things like that. Mm-hmm. It would be a picture, but a posed picture. So it's mm-hmm, how I've wanted course. them to see me. Would you ever date people in person and not tell them at all and then sort of think, oh God, am I, when am I going to bring it up? Yeah, there was this one guy um, and we was we met up and we were kind of speaking and he was like here in my face and he said, your eyes are really beautiful. Um, oh, I bet you hated that. And I, I was bet... literally like, are you taking yeah. the mick out of me? Or do uh, do you, are you being honest? Or what's going on right now? And then I mm. literally got myself so panicky and I just wanted to get out of there that I left literally 20 minutes after. Poor guy, just thought you were really I gorgeous. <laughs> There's me like, see you later, yeah. bye. <laughs> bye, hun. <laughs> so we should talk a bit about, is it right that you've um, written a book about your journey when you were younger? Tell me about that. Yes. So um, this was actually when I was getting home tutored. My teacher would come round and I'd be upstairs and I'd be like, I'm not coming down. I I don't even want to, I didn't even want to be home tutored because I was just so poorly. On this one day she went, look, let's not do maths today. She said, do you want to do something fun? She said, what about writing about your experience? So she actually really encouraged me to do this. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And she was like, well, you know, you can start writing a book if you like. Um, She said, it's good to look back on, you know, all of your memories, even dates and stuff. And I started writing this book about my experiences. But no, I'm going to get back to that. Um, And that is, like I said, my biggest goal. That's my that would be my biggest achievement is being able to publish that book. I would read that. Like that's an amazing story. Mm. Like I I want my daughters to read your book and you know you're so incredible. You're you've never given up, you know, and you're here today not just sort of living a normal life. You're here in person, confident, bold, happy, you know, it's just such a survivor's story. What would you call the book? What would the title be? My story now is called The Story About Me, but I'd probably mm. change the title. I've got one. Been through a lot, still hot. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. <laughs> so, I mean, you're doing some amazing stuff. You've also got your volunteering at Great Ormond Street. Um, so that's with, so you work with children when you do that. So that's at um, Royal London. Um, Great Ormond Street mm. was where I had all my treatment and everything like that. But Royal okay. London is where people go for checkups. Um, so I meet a lot of people there. It's so healing and it's so powerful. And again, it sounds really corny and really like 
patronizing, but helping other people does help you. It gives you purpose. Like I found exactly the same. And my God, the lives that you'll be changing, the mindset that you'll be changing. Like I remember for me, just finding out I was, you know, I was blinded in my left eye forever. Uh, you know, it's not just for me. It wasn't just meeting anyone who's blinded. It's meeting a young girl yes. that's still glamorous and and who I see myself in. You know, if I could have met someone like that, you know, your main question, which I know you totally understand, is like, how am I going to live like this? How am I going to go to the toilet? How am I going to do my makeup? Uh, how am I going to walk around? Can I drive? It's all like, how am I going to live? And you just can't really envisage it. And when a doctor's telling you who doesn't have that problem themselves, you can't really believe it or trust yeah, it. Yeah, you just, yeah, that's so true. And this is why I, I try to help others and do all this volunteer work. Because I was the second person in the UK to get it over the age of five, I can say my whole experience, what chemo is going to be like, what what it's yeah. going to be like to have your eye removed and things like that. So when I was going through it, I had one girl that I spoke to over the phone um, called Megan. She was lovely, um, but I never got to meet her. I never got to see. We didn't speak regularly. So I didn't really have that massive support that I feel mm. I can do for other people now. Um, it's great what you're doing. Uh, so literally, good. But yeah. do you know what, Katie? I remember seeing you on TV and I thought what you've been through is just so traumatic but the way you carry yourself is so inspiring and you've always really really inspired me like you've helped millions of people including myself to really speak up and to not be ashamed of anything you've been through and actually it gives you so many more opportunities being you we should never be ashamed because our bodies never let us down yes. and we shouldn't let our bodies down by being embarrassed by them you know, like you've really got to respect your body for what it, it carried you through. Definitely. I need to ask you a selfish question, though. Yeah. Like even now, 13 years on, just having sight in that one eye, I'm still banging into everything, right? I'm still curbing my alloys when I drive. Yeah. Like, are, you, are you still banging into everything? Yes. Is it a nightmare? Yes. Oh, my God. I was in co-op a couple of months ago. And um, this guy who was working there had a, um, a little trolley thing he was putting like doing the shelves and stuff had this yeah. trolley sticking out and I was with my best friend Lily and I was walking I literally next thing I trip up I fell you don't see it. and I was like oh my god and obviously I'm not gonna be like oh sorry I only have one eye like I just fell my my friend was like oh my god Liv are you all right and I was like I literally can't see to my right yeah you have to be extra careful I almost find as well even when like a bird flies past it catches my eye and I'm oh, like frightens you or people come up from behind you in the crowded street oh, yes I mean, literally oh, so horrible yeah it does scare you a bit so no I'm with you on that one <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future hold for you like your dreams your aspirations like what do you see as success where do you want your Instagram to go so I've actually got a really big day planned uh, for this summertime I have actually got 20 people who I've been speaking to with prosthetic eyes all for different reasons. And oh my words, there's people with uh, who have had retinoblastoma, people who have been um, had an accident when they're a child, fell into a knife, um, someone who's been shot. These Some of these people are having to pay for their eyes. They're not getting funded. So I think they can get one by the NHS, um, but mm. some aren't, they're really not happy with it. Um, and some can't go to Moorfields. I was quite, you know, mm -hmm. lucky to go to Moorfields and get funded for, um, and to basically get... Um, to get my eye paid for and these people some of them aren't as fortunate and it, it really makes me feel upset and you know 
they should deserve the eye that they're comfortable in. I've booked this day so they can come and they're able to tell their story. So the photographer Cicely's going to be uh, filming the whole day um, and mm. everyone telling their stories. Um, we're going to put together a short movie of how they how they are living with a prosthetic because I think people mm. forget, you know, although I've gone through cancer I'm healed now I'm 10 years into remission I'm still living with mm. a prosthetic and I'm still living you know I'm carrying that with me and so are these other people I'm speaking to um they're carrying it with with them they're they're dealing with living with a prosthetic and learning things every day and I hope to send it to some tv channels to get the awareness out and hopefully mm-hmm. create uh, my dream would be to you know run a charity and be able to mm. help fund for these people or a prosthetic eye that they're happy with, really happy with. Such a good idea. Like I say, like your eyes are one of the first thing people look at and mm-hmm. people should, you know, with prosthetic eyes, they should feel confident enough to be able to have a normal general conversation with somebody else um, without mm. feeling so anxious and some to even just step outside of the house and feel excited yeah. for the day and not feel Start afraid living. of being judged. You're going to help people oh, get back I to living. So. You know, they're existing and you're going to help them get back to living. It's so Thank good. You. Uh, you have literally lived up to the title of the podcast. You are extraordinary. Oh, Thanks so much Thank for having so me. Much. Uh, I've loved talking to you and I could have gone on and on. I've really enjoyed it. You've made me feel really happy. Oh, um, you. So you've, you've got such happy. a good vibe. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials.